Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And it is uh, great to be back with everybody, and, um, and we have been praying for you, and I know you've been praying for us while we were in uh, Palestine, the land of Jesus, and uh, the rumor is true. I came back with, um, I went to Jerusalem, and all I came back with was a stinking tattoo. So um, uh, I did get a tattoo over there, but let me explain. I've already done so to my wife, <laughs> who wasn't happy, but anyway... Um, I, I didn't go to Earl's Tattoo Parlor, um, and uh, I didn't get a skull or a tribal or something like that. Um, actually, um, I went to... Uh, tattoos are a major part of the Oriental Christian tradition. And I went to this place in the old city of Jerusalem, um, partly a support, but uh, to, um, to, um, to this place that had been in the same location since 1300. And, um, and they've had some of their celebrity customers included uh, uh, King Edward IV and, uh, and King... Uh, uh, Philip the Ninth of Denmark and all of these, these, you know, and so crusaders usually went down there and would get a small cross, and then the Coptic Christians and the um, Oriental Christians always did, and, and you would always get it on your right arm as an extension of the right arm of fellowship to show that you were one of them. It was really cool, and I thought so until I came home, and my wife was like, are you crazy? And, uh, and you have to wear long sleeves now every day. But uh, um, it's a tattoo of St. George slaying the dragon, and it's really cool, and I'll show it to you on uh, May 14th when we have our forum on our pilgrimage to Israel. My, my daughter was deeply disturbed too by the whole thing and I explained to her what it was and she was like, well, as long as you weren't having any fun. And so uh, when you were doing it and so, but, uh, um, so, but it was a wonderful trip and we look forward to uh, having you all come on May 14th uh, to uh, our forum where we'll also have uh, information about the next one that's going to happen in May uh, or in March of 2019. And so, but it was amazing to be there and to be in the land where the prophet Ezekiel delivered his prophecies to Israel. I don't know if you know about the prophet Ezekiel, but he prophesied in uh, over 22 years of a dark period of the history of Israel in the land of Judah, which ultimately culminated in the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish people being decimated and dispersed across the Babylonian Empire. And in Ezekiel's prophecy today, he's given a vision. He's given a vision of a valley of dry, dusty bones. And this is an important illustration because what Ezekiel is seeing is Israel not in the need of a touch-up. You know, what he's seeing is not Israel in need of self-improvement. Rather, instead, what Ezekiel sees is Israel dead as dead can be. That's what he sees. And like Israel on our own, we are dead. Dead in trespasses, dead in sin, dead as those dry bones. As the great philosopher Ernst Becker once stated, we think we're alive, yet so much of what passes as life is really death delayed. A kind of race from the womb to the tomb. As we were reminded at the start of Lent, we're coming to the close of Lent, but as we were reminded at the start of Lent on Ash Wednesday, remember, O man, that thou art but dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. Nevertheless, it's at this moment 
When all earthly hope is lost, God asks the prophet Ezekiel a very peculiar question. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? I'm sure that's how everyone was feeling at the tomb of Lazarus when Jesus shows up four days late and asks for the stone to be rolled back. Can the bones of Lazarus, dead in the grave, live? Maybe you've actually asked that question when all hope was lost or is lost. God may not have answered a prayer on a situation, and that particular situation died. It's in shambles. It's buried. Can your dry, dead bones live again? Well, not if it's up to us. This is what makes so much of what passes as preaching cruel today. You know, we have to do something. We've got to do this. Make these, you would, here's five steps to make these dead bones live again. And that's cruel. Not if it's up to us. This is my first point. Can these dry bones live again? Can, can the dead shambles of our lives come back together? Not if it's up to us. We can make things better for a moment. We can improve the situation for a moment. Nevertheless, it all dies. And it dies because the dead can't raise the dead. As I saw clearly in the Holy Land, relic after relic, dead peace plan after dead peace plan. On the Mount of Olives, there's 70,000 plus Jews buried And then there are 10,000-plus Muslims buried outside the east wall of Jerusalem. And you walk the Kidron Valley, which means the Valley of Darkness, is right there. And you begin to realize, this is my first point. And let it be embedded in your heart. You have to understand this to get the gospel. Son of man, can these dry bones live again? If it's up to us in any way, any way, the answer is no. And why? Because the dead stay dead. That's how it works. Hence, Ezekiel is commanded then to prophesy to the bones. And to prophesy, that's just a fancy word to preach. The prophet begins to preach, not his words, but the Lord's. And that is really key here. The prophet speaks God's word, and the bones hear, and the bones obey, and the bones come together again. Can you imagine that? Bone to bone, flesh and sinew and skin all coming together, and then this breath, this wind from the four corners, which is the Spirit of God. It blows, and they stand up, and they live again. Son of man, can these bones live? Well, I bet you that's what everybody was asking Jesus when he went, when, uh, when Jesus' friends went to join those bones. It's really amazing when you think about it. You go to see these usurary, these tombs, these old tombs. And the way they used to do it, they had three niches. So, because, you know, you'd probably lose a couple. And you'd let people just sit in those niches for two years until all the bones were there. And then you'd collect them and put them in these boxes. So this is what everybody's thinking when uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus went to go join those dry bones. John tells us that he'd been sick and his sisters Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to come. 
And John tells us that Bethany is two miles away from Jerusalem. And in my mind, I always thought that was like a long way, but it is literally like right over a hill. It's like literally going to Midtown. It's just over a hill. And Jesus doesn't come quickly. He intentionally, John tells us, waits two days. And by the time he arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been in that tomb for four days. What is going on, Lord? The town is already gathered. The weeping is loud. And they're weeping there because they're collecting tears to place in the tomb. And you can read the disappointment in Jesus here. And understandably so, he was their friend. I mean, think about it. Mary and Martha had him in their home. And Jesus took his sweet time getting to Bethany, which is only two miles away. Lazarus may not have qualified as dry and dead, probably a little squishy, but nevertheless, totally in that tomb dead. I assume Mary is disappointed. This is why she didn't, she stays at home. She doesn't even go out to greet Jesus. And Martha, you can hear the disappointment when she says, Lord, if you had only been there, my brother wouldn't have died. I mean, come on, Lord, and you can hear the disappointment in the Jewish crowd there. You know, this is the guy who gave sight to the blind. Some lame guy he didn't even know, he told to get up. You fed 5,000 people and you couldn't get to Bethany on time? You can hear the universal statement that we've all said before in the disappointments and deaths of life. If only, Lord. Yet even here, in her loss, Martha knows there's something to the resurrection. Don't ever let, you te- don't ever let anybody tell you that Second Temple Judaism didn't believe in a resurrection. Totally. Martha is an example of it. It was a big part of their faith. And she says, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is a big, powerful thing. Even in our loss, when Jesus is present, there is hope. However, this is far from the full picture. Because who she is speaking to is not simply a good example whom God grants favors to. He's not a, you know, a lucky rabbit's foot. Jesus is not simply a prophet whom God listens to. Jesus is not simply a miracle worker who happens to do the impossible. Jesus is not simply a son of man like Ezekiel. Rather, who Martha is speaking to, Jesus, he is the son of man. And Jesus is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus is that word through whom all things were made and whom everything holds together. And Jesus' words are spirit and they are life. And let me proclaim to you, when that word comes into contact with death, well, death loses its power. And resurrection and life are there and they are on the way. And so this is my second point. Can these dry bones live again? On our own, the answer is no. On our own, we may not have the full picture. But in Jesus, we are given an unequivocal yes to that question. In Jesus, we are given the full picture of God's grace and his mercy. For we may not be able to rouse ourselves or others from this sleep called death, but the Word and the Spirit can. 
Jesus can, and he has. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus has gone to the grave, not simply to mourn, but to conquer. When it says that Jesus wept, it's not like, boo-hoo, Lazarus. This is like the Greek word is like a horse kicking back and like neighing, like fury coming out of its nostrils. This is what's understood as Jesus observes his creation under the subjection of death. And so he's not come to the tomb simply to weep and grieve, but to cry out against it and destroy this darkness we call death by his death. And it's confirmed in his resurrection. So Jesus, the Son of Man, he speaks into this situation and says to Martha, your brother will rise again. Having no idea as to what's actually about to happen, Martha states her belief in the resurrection of the dead on the last day. And yet while this is true, Jesus is going to demonstrate to her something very powerful, what Paul talks about in our epistle to Romans, Romans chapter 8, that Jesus is going to demonstrate that he is also resurrection and life right now. Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the last of the I am statements in uh, John's gospel. Hearkening everybody back to Moses when he was on uh, Mount Sinai and asked God's name. And God says, I am who I am. And he says, Jesus says, those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. This declaration is present tense. It's here and now, and it's for you right now. This is the gospel, that while you will die, mark my words, you will die, living and trusting in Jesus, you will never die forever. This is the gospel. In Jesus, death can't hold you, because Jesus broke the bonds of death by his own dying and rising. And to demonstrate that his words do what they say, to show he truly is the resurrection and the life, Jesus goes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Jesus does miracles not to show that he's an all-around wonderful entertainer or for us to do miracles as well. He goes to do miracles to confirm who he is. And so he goes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Yet Martha's worried. She's like, Lord, it's going to stink. But where there is Jesus, the stench of death's decay gives way to the fresh breath of life, a smell you and I will smell someday. And Jesus goes to the open tomb and he shouts into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. His words, his breath, Move into that tomb, and like the dry bones in the valley, Lazarus emerges from his own grave wearing the burial cloths. Can your dry bones live? Yes, they can. And they live by grace, a gift through faith, not our doing, but God's doing. You can't ask the dead to raise themselves. That's why how to sermons are cruel. Ezekiel didn't tell the bones to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. He preached the gospel to them. He preached the spirit to them. That's what God does to our dry, dusty bones. He comes and in baptism, in the proclaimed word that's in your ears right now, gathered around this table, nourished with his body and his blood, 
He makes believers out of unbelievers. He raises you and I who are dead to life. And he forgives sinners. And he does it all with his word and his breath. Delivered in ordinary means to you today. So this is my third point. Remember, when you face your dry bones, your dead bones, remember you are baptized into Jesus' death and life. And because you've been baptized into Jesus' death and life, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness, as St. Paul says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8, it's a sermon all by itself. And this promise is confirmed at your baptism. Let it speak to you today gathered around this altar. You are resurrected You are alive, and when you die, death won't hold you forever, for you will see on the last day. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.